Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we have a privilege today because one of the greatest stories ever told is our gospel. I'm talking about that magnificent story from the 24th chapter of Luke's gospel, the story of Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. As I've often said, the Gospels have one great overarching question. Who is Jesus Christ? Their question is not so much, what did he do? What did he teach? But who is he? The attempt to grasp him, to understand him with at least relative adequacy, that's the heart of the New Testament. All the Gospels, all of Paul, everything. Therefore, it's very instructive to overhear these two disciples as they make their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, discussing all that had happened in regard to Jesus. See, because like us, like every disciple up and down the ages, they're struggling to understand this strange figure. Who was he? Who is he? Of course, in a delicious irony, Jesus himself accompanies them as they walk and talk, though they're prevented from recognizing him. He prompts them, in his own sort of non-intrusive way, to reveal the fruit of their conversation, their findings, if you will. What things, he asked them. Are you the only one, they reply, are you the only one that doesn't know the great things about Jesus? Well, what things? Tell me what you know. And so they begin to lay out what they know. Cleopas speaks. Well, he's a prophet, powerful in word and deed, in the eyes of God and all the people. True? Yeah, sure. Jesus was indeed a great prophet. In the tradition of of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he was a spokesperson for God. And he did, according to all the Gospels, perform mighty works that attracted a huge following. I'm sure that even the most skeptical historian today would agree with this assessment of Jesus, prophet, powerful in word and deed, in the eyes of all the people. Okay. So Cleopas goes on. What else do you know about this Jesus? How our chief priests and leaders delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Right again. Jesus did indeed excite enormous official opposition. He was indeed delivered into the hands of the Roman authorities, who indeed carried out a capital sentence upon him. And again, I don't know any serious historian, even the most skeptical, who would doubt this fact, that Jesus ran afoul of the leadership of his time, that he was crucified. They go on. We were hoping he'd be the one who would set Israel free. That's a powerful line now from Cleopas. It's saying a mouthful. As I mentioned before to you, the Mashiach of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ, 
had a pretty specific job description. It included the liberation of the people from foreign oppression, as well as from the oppression of sin and false worship. The Mashiach was to be a liberator. You can hear it, by the way, in that great Benedictus prayer of Zechariah from the Gospel of Luke. Zechariah says, prophesying about Jesus, he has come to his people and set them free. That was the messianic hope. It was the hope of those who felt that Jesus was the Messiah. Now here's what's interesting. Cleopas's absolute assurance that now he knows that hope was in vain. How come? Well, look, there is no clearer indication that somebody was not the liberator of Israel, not the Mashiach. There was no clear indication than his death at the hands of Israel's enemies. He's meant to, to deal death, not to receive it. He's meant to conquer, not be conquered. What you can hear in Cleopas' statement, and I, you can hear it, I'm sure, in the, in the rhythms and cadences of the speech of the earliest followers of Jesus after his crucifixion, what you can hear is this, the dashed hopes. Oh, how he had raised their hopes, and oh, how the crucifixion had dashed them. Again, it seems to me, many people today would share Cleopas's rather bittersweet assessment of Jesus. Inspiring, powerful figure, yeah, teacher, of course. But in the end, he let us all down. In the end, he just is one more false messiah, one more inspiring but deluded figure. Cleopas has more to say. Listen, besides all this, today some women of our group have just brought us astonishing news. They returned with a tale that they had seen a vision of angels who declared that he was alive. Now, as you hear this account in Luke, do you get the impression that Cleopas and his friend haven't taken this report too seriously? I mean, after all, they're walking away from Jerusalem. Did they believe this? Clearly not. Clearly not. They wouldn't be hightailing it out of town. They wouldn't be walking in dejection. Oh, they thought of it probably as, you know, one more silly fable, one more old wives' tale, one more goofy dream. The reality of the situation seems to be betrayal, crucifixion, death, and the dashing of hopes. That's what's going on here. And I know these stories are floating around about angels and resurrection, but that's just a waste of time. Now, again, I think you'd find an awful lot of people today who would acknowledge the stories told about Jesus' resurrection and would be about as moved by them as these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Sure, Christianity makes lots of claims, but let's stay rooted in reality, shall we? You know, wouldn't that be the attitude of a lot of people today? So, what do we know about him? Who was he? Eh, prophet, did some amazing things, impressed a lot of people, got himself in trouble with the power establishment, sent to his death, and then inspired some wild fantasies after his death. They get it right? Do we have it right? Do you have the experience of solving a puzzle? 
you know, various pieces on the table there, and they just don't make any sense. You see all the pieces, but you don't know how they fit together. And then somehow you get it. You see it. You, you begin to see the pattern. And, and now, oh, now I see how all these fit together. You know what it's like to suddenly get a joke? You've heard the words, but you haven't understood why it's funny. And then suddenly you get it. You see it. The experience of reading a book, a great novel, and you're taking in all the characters, all the, the drama, the plot, but then at a certain point you get it. You get the overarching theme. You see what he, the whole thing is about. You know what it's like for the first time after many years of knowing someone to finally see them in their entirety for the first time? Well, you say, I see now how all the events of your life and all your behaviors fit together. This is what happens to these disciples as Jesus begins to speak. Have they assembled a lot of data about him? Sure. Some of it right, yeah. Some of it a little bit shaky, but they've established all this data about him. And then Jesus begins to speak. What little sense you have. How slow you are to believe all that the prophets have announced. Did not the Messiah have to undergo all this so as to enter into his glory? Friends, the whole of Christianity is hanging right here in the balance. They saw him. They got much of the data right. What they didn't get was the secret. What they didn't get was the mystery. What they didn't get was the key. What they didn't get was the pattern. And this is what Jesus is now revealing to them. What's the key? God's self-emptying love. Yes, even unto death. God's willingness to journey into the dark country of sin and death in order to bring us his love. God's act of taking upon himself the sins of the world in order to take them away. The mystery of redemption through suffering love. That's the key. When you see that, now the patterns and forms of Jesus' life emerge. Now all these data come together in a coherent, organized way. He explains all this first with reference to the prophets and the Torah and the Bible. Don't you understand what the prophets were saying? Don't you see now why Jeremiah and Isaiah spoke the way they did? Don't you see now why the Psalms spoke of the Messiah the way they did? They were all speaking of me. And then, having surveyed the prophets and the Torah, he makes the mystery and the key and the secret as vividly present to them as he can. Listen, he took the bread, pronounced the blessing, and then broke the bread and began to distribute it to them. What is the Eucharist but the making present of this love unto death? The making present of the separation of the body and blood of Jesus. Making present in the most vivid way possible of the secret. And that's why, listen, that's why at the breaking of the bread they saw him. 
got him. It was no longer just these disparate bits of information. No, it all cohered around the pattern of love made clear in the Eucharist. They got him through the opening of the scriptures and through the breaking of the bread. Now listen, does this sound familiar to you? It should. The road to Emmaus is our story because it's the story of the liturgy. We have all kinds of data about Jesus. We could hold the common opinions of our society, of our culture. We could be as skeptical as anybody about him. We could be as despairing as these disciples on the road to Emmaus. What makes the difference? Because every week at the liturgy, Jesus opens the word to us and Jesus breaks the bread. And so we get it. We understand. We see him. And therefore, we're ready for mission. Once they saw Jesus, despite the late hour, despite the darkness, despite their fears, they go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the eleven. They go back to the church. So we, having seen him, having gotten him, having understood him, we get up and we go on mission. That's why the liturgy is the source and summit of the Christian life. Because in it, we get clarity of vision and we get impetus for action. And friends, that's why this story of the road to Emmaus is preeminently our story. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.